0: Ted Cruz went to check out the crisis on our southern border this weekend, and the Biden administration does not want you to find out what he saw.
1: Please give dignity to the people. Please give dignity to the people. So you work for the commissioner, your senior advisor. You were hired two weeks ago, and you're instructed to ask us to not have any pictures taken here Please respect the because people, the, the political rules. leadership at DHS does not want the American people to know Please it. Please respect the rules, you sir. You keep standing in, in front of the pictures, so Please you don't want the, the pictures rules. taken. The rules are arbitrary and Please they're designed the to keep and the and American people in the dark. Please give the people, people dignity the and respect. That's all we ask dignity and respect. Well, no, it's not. Respect. You're asking—is this please, dignity and respect? Look at these people. Give there, there's a pandemic. dignity and respect to the people. Let, let me ask, ask you. There, there's a pandemic. You, I respectfully ask you, sir. There is a pandemic. Is this respecting the rights of these I kids? Ask you, please are you, respect you respecting the, the rights of these this kids? This is not a zoo, sir. Yeah. Please don't treat the people. You're right, and this is a dangerous place. Please don't treat the and people. And your policies, like this. That's un- all unfortunately, are trying to hide them. I understand. You are instructed. When 18 I senators ask you came down please here. Please respect the people, give them dignity respect and respect. I respect them and I want to fix this situation. We all want and to fix this We And the administration this, so don't you're working for is responsible anymore. for these conditions. Please respect the people with dignity and, and respect. And sir. I ask you to respect the, the people as well. This is not respect. I am respecting you. I am respecting is, the people. This is not respect.
0: That's her story and she's sticking to it. Man, this is Ted Cruz at his absolute best, top of his game. That lady wants him to respect the people, not the people who are crowded at 1,500% capacity amid the uh, apparently extraordinarily deadly pandemic. No, she wants you to respect all the Democrats and the Biden administration workers who have implemented a policy far, far worse than anything they criticized about Trump. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. Welcome back to the show. My favorite comment from Friday, from Charles, who writes, I need an ID to get a library card, but not to vote in American elections. Yes, this is very strange. I also think this is a good, this is a better point to observe than to say, you know, I need a, I need a ID to buy a pack of cigarettes. I need an ID to buy a six pack of beer. Yeah, that's true, but those are privileges. And what the left says is, well, yes, but voting is a sacred right. Well, sure, but you, you also need ID to access any sort of government service you need ID to travel that's a fundamental right you need ID for all sorts of things you get an ID the minute you're born <laughs> you get a birth certificate you get a social security card but but for some reason voting breaks all the rules why do we have IDs for all these different government services down to the level of a library well to prevent fraud to make sure that the, that we know who you are to make sure that the government is not going to... Uh, be duped and give certain privileges and certain rights to people who don't deserve them, like ineligible voters, for instance. But then that goes right out the window with voting. I would, yeah, hold them to account on that very good observation. We need a healthy country. We need a healthy republic and we need a healthy body too. That's what I say. Not just a body politic, but a healthy body, which is why you should check out Nutrisystem. Nutrisystem is simple and convenient with delicious meals delivered right to your door with little to no meal prep required. That means no shopping in busy grocery stores. That means that you can lose with Nutrisystem up to 18 pounds in your first two months. The plan is clinically proven to put your body in fat burning mode and helps you achieve safe and healthy weight loss. Nutrisystem also will help you not only lose the weight, but help you to keep it off. They have a top rated app called Numi for extra motivation to help you stay on track. You get unlimited one-on-one coaching. You can really sustain this sort of thing. A lot of my friends go on fad diets. You know the ones that are very popular right now. And then they lose a lot of weight for like two seconds and they gain it all back. Don't do that. Do it it the smart way and uh, do it a way that uh, I think is really terrific because Nutrisystem food just tastes great. It's really great stuff. Order Nutrisystem now. Go to nutrisystemcom slash K-N-O-W-L-E-S and you will save fifty percent off. That is nutrisystem.com/Noles. Uh, really great stuff from Senator Cruz. I don't say this only because I host a podcast with a man named Verdict. I don't say this just because he's a friend of mine. Uh, this is the kind of thing that a lot of Republican politicians do not have the cooluni to do. And uh, Senator Cruz just goes right down. And this woman, in the name of compassion, she says, beep, boop, beep, boop, please respect the rights and dignities. Please respect the humanity. Please respect, you're not respecting the humanity, lady. You're keeping these people in terrible conditions. And worse than that, because sure, there there is this problem of illegal aliens who try to enter our country. That, That seems to be a perennial problem, but sometimes it gets better. Sometimes it gets worse. And right now your administration is creating incentives for it to get much, much worse. So now you got 1500% capacity in some places amid COVID with deplorable conditions. And you accuse Ted Cruz of not respecting their humanity because he shows people your own corruption, because he shows people the effects of your radicalism. It's like saying, saying it, you might say it to journalists. Actually, the only reason that this woman isn't saying it to journalists is that they've, they've barred journalists from actually reporting on the inside of these centers. Cruz and the other senators were able to barge their way in because they said, look, we're, <laughs> we're a duly elected branch of the federal government. We're going in here. But if, if not for that, we would never see those pictures because the Biden administration is being so opaque. They want to hide their corruption and the terrible effects that it's having on both the migrants and on the American Republic. Ilhan Omar sees it differently. Representative Omar wants to stick to the same story that that political operative was sticking to when she was yelling at Senator Cruz. She's pointing out that the, the Biden administration, they are deploying, quote, maximum humanity and dignity at the border.
1: What they're looking for right now is to figure out how the resources they already have. The administration hasn't asked for new resources. The resources they already have, how to deploy that in the most effective way to address a problem that was created by an administration that believed you had to uh, uh, create maximum pain in order for immigrants not to come to our border. And so when you have an administration now that says, we are going to deploy maximum humanity and dignity in treating people in regards to our policies, then we are excited because then we see partners in humanity. We see partners who see children who are coming to our country seeking help.
0: Did anything she said mean anything? Because she said a lot of words and she said them very emphatically and she kind of blew out my eardrum a little bit a couple of the times. But did that mean anything? She made, she makes one factual claim, which is that this problem that Biden is dealing with, you know, the kids in cages, this was caused by the Trump administration. That's just not true. To quote our president, who built the cages, Joe, the cages go back before the Trump administration ironically to the Obama Biden administration, the policy, the the policy that the left took the greatest issue with family separation did not begin with the Trump administration. It goes back to the Clinton administration actually. So on that claim, it's just completely wrong. Then you look at her emotional appeal. She says, we need to give Biden a break. We need to actually approve of what Biden's doing because he's doing what he's doing with maximum humanity and dignity. So what she's saying is the practical effect of this might be worse than anything Trump ever did. There might be more kids crammed into more cages amid a pandemic, much worse than anything Trump ever did, even by the left's own standards. But the way in which Biden's doing it and more to the point, the motives that have impelled Biden to exert this policy are wonderful. And so we need to judge Biden, not by his actions, but by his intentions, which I will remind you about good intentions, uh, pave the road to hell. We'll get into the road to hell a little bit later when we talk about Little Nas X, who's a rapper. But this is a classic uh, tactic of of leftism. It's a a tactic of of moral idiots. It's it's a a tactic that uh, Screwtape, the demon in C.S. Lewis's excellent Screwtape letters, says to use when he's teaching his... his, uh, nephew Wormwood, how to win over souls for the devil. He says, make sure you always get the human beings to judge themselves by their intentions, but to judge other people by their actions, to judge yourself in the best possible light and to judge your opponents in the worst possible light. That's what's going on here. I don't, I don't see much, much humanity and dignity at the border. The Biden administration right now is preparing for 800,000 family migrants. So migrants who are coming, you know, illegal aliens with, with multiple people in their party. In addition to the single people who will also be coming, that, that will be a, a record, not just for the families, but they're also expecting a record inflow of unaccompanied children and a spiking wave of single men. Very bad stuff, not, not able to be compared in any serious way to what happened under Trump. My issue is not even to focus on the numbers and what that means for the polity for right now. I just want to focus on, on these, the moral claims they're making, humane and dignified. Many of these people who are getting into our country illegally are not tested for coronavirus. The, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security admitted this just a couple of weeks ago. They're not tested for the virus that public health officials have told us is the reason we've needed to lock down and not see our families, and cancel Thanksgiving, and and stop sending kids to school, and cancel Christmas, and not let the kids go out and play. We've been told the virus is so serious that we need to completely suspend our lives, lock our little American children inside, spiking rates of anxiety depression, and suicide. Lock American citizens inside and yet let foreign nationals who are untested for coronavirus roam free in our country. Does that make any sense? While the Biden administration is pushing for, for practically speaking, open borders or very nearly open borders with Mexico, the administration is pushing for vaccine passports for American citizens. We told you this was coming. It was ever thus. Washington Post is reporting now that the Biden administration is considering multiple versions of vaccine passports. One of the most significant hurdles facing federal officials, writes the Washington Post, the sheer number of passport initiatives underway with the Biden administration this month identifying at least 17. Those initiatives such as the World Health Organization-led global effort and a digital pass devised by IBM that is being tested in New York State, are rapidly moving forward, even as the White House deliberates about how best to track the shots. And avoid the perception of a government mandate to be vaccinated. So they want to avoid the perception. They don't want to avoid the fact. They want to avoid the perception. Just like they want to avoid the perception of being inhumane and undignified at the border. They're not going to avoid the fact. They're going to keep the Trump administration policies. They're going to ratchet them up to 11. They just want the perception to be different than the reality. And that's what they're doing with the vaccine passports. By the way, one of the issues with the vaccine passports is that they want to make sure that the passports can track variants, that they can track booster shots, so that the government And the broader regime buffeted by corporate power and technological power and the administrative state and the educational institutions, the whole liberal establishment apparatus is going to impel you not just to take the vaccine and they're going to track you and track your medical history, but they're also going to impel you to get the boosters, to get shots for different variants. And your medical rights, such as we have known them, will erode and erode and erode. This is going to be a a real touchstone issue here. This is going to be one that I think separates the wheat from the chaff. You're, You're seeing this debate play out in the UK right now, and I think you're going to see it here. There are going to be some conservatives who support the vaccine passports, and there are going to be real conservatives there are going to be squishy conservatives who support the vaccine passports. There are going to be real conservatives who do not. If you want to stay safe these days, you should check out Ring. So much is going on at our front doors these days. That's especially true for me because I have my sweet little newborn bundle of joy. I guess he's not really newborn, and it's two months, two months of people sending us food, people sending us little toys and, and clothing and stuff. Oh, that's all great. And people sending us relatives to come see our baby. Now, sometimes you want to open that door, like when it's the pizza outside, sometimes depending on it's that relative that maybe, you know, maybe you don't want to open that door. With a ring, you can see and speak to whoever is at your door, whether you are in your bedroom, maybe you are in your office, maybe you are on a beach on the other side of the world. And with motion detection, by the way, you can see who's coming up to your door, even if they don't ring the bell. Really makes me feel safe when I'm on the road and I know sweet little Elisa and little June uh, can know who's outside before they open up that door. It's also a great housewarming gift, not only because it's a terrific product, but also because it's not that expensive. <laughs> so you get a lot of credit for a great gift. You don't need to shell out a lot. Right now, get a special offer on the Ring Welcome Kit at ring.com slash Comes with Ring's Video Doorbell 3 and Chime Pro. The perfect way to upgrade your front door and start your Ring experience. Go to ring.com slash That's ring.com slash in the United Kingdom right now, they are having a debate that is coming to America. It's, it's practically here already. The debate is not between the right and the left, but the debate is among people theoretically on the right. And it's between, it's, right now it's being played out between Boris Johnson, the conservative prime minister, and Nigel Farage, the Brexit leader, another very conservative politician in the UK. Boris Johnson is pro-vaccine passport. Nigel Farage is anti-vaccine passport. Boris Johnson, he's being a little circumspect here, but he's saying that vaccine passports will have some role in the UK recovering or perhaps not recovering from coronavirus. Uh, Farage says no way. No vaccine passports. No thank you. He said, it won't fly. He said, it's unworkable. And frankly, to put this upon our struggling publicans at this moment in time would be completely outrageous. So you're going to see the squishy Republicans go for the vaccine passports. You're probably seeing that already. Uh, You you probably know who those people are, the sort of people who call drag queen story hour a blessing of liberty. Those are going to be the kind of guys who who say the vaccine passports A-OK. Actual conservatives, people who want to conserve anything, you know, resembling uh, our, our tr- tradition. Uh, they're going to be against it. And by the way, you're going I think you're going to see an interesting split among the, the right wingers who are against the vaccine passports. You're going to see two arguments against the vaccine passports. You're going to see the, the libertarian argument, which is going to be about freedom and big government and that government ain't going to put the jab in my arm, darn it. And uh, fair enough. It works by, I'm not a libertarian, but fair enough. And then you're going to see a traditional conservative argument, which is going to be focused a little bit less on, on, you know, my individual rights and I've got a natural right not to get vaccinated or something. And it's going to focus more on the way that this initiative will upend our political tradition, our American way of life. The idea, I think the traditional conservatives are not going to say that the government has no police powers and the government has no role in some sort of public health policy. Probably the government does and always has. But this is so radical. This is so foreign to the American way of life. This would so restructure the balance of power in society. It would give so much more power to the federal government and to these billionaire technological overlords who are going to be tracking our medical history. And it's going to so reorder our economy such that now a handful of people are going to be able to say, are you, that whether or not you're permitted to engage in commerce, it's going to be so, so radical that we need to oppose it. Whatever argument works, it's sort of fine by me. Uh, We just need to stand against this as strongly as we possibly can. There's obviously a contradiction in the narratives that the left is simultaneously telling us. They're telling us that the virus is so dangerous that that no one can go outside. We need to live in fear. We need to reorder our society for it and give the government the rights to jab us whenever they want. And on the other hand, we're being told that uh, the virus is so inconsequential that we need to open the floodgates of our southern border and let let unvaccinated, often and and often untested, foreign nationals pour into our country. Why? Because it's, that's going to give Democrats an electoral advantage in the short term and and especially in the long term. And and because the the left uh, wants to erode the the notion of national sovereignty and our, our current uh, legal system, which is which would enforce my immigration laws passed by our representatives who were voted for by the people in the traditional constitutional way. They want to replace that with a technocratic sort of government by the experts who are not accountable to the people. Uh, There's a, there's a contradiction here just on the question of COVID. Is COVID really dangerous or is it just not that big a deal? Right now the left is, is implicitly telling us both at the same time because they're changing their argument depending on their political point of view. But Fauci, he's sticking to his story. Dr. Fauci is saying that the the pandemic is so bad right now that that your kid, uh, very likely, maybe he'll be able to go to summer camp. Maybe he won't. You're going to have to monitor this situation very carefully and probably he shouldn't play outside. Can they send their kids to summer camp? Can they allow them to play again on playgrounds? You know, It
2: is conceivable that that will be possible, Margaret, because what we're seeing is, you know, as you just mentioned on the piece, we now have three to 3.5 million vaccinations each day. If we keep up at that pace, invariably, that's gonna drive the rate and the level of infections per day to a much, much lower level. If we get into the summer and you have a considerable percentage of of the population vaccinated, and the level in the community gets below that plateau that's worrying me and my colleagues in public health, it is conceivable that you have a good degree of flexibility during the summer, even with the children, with things like camps. We don't know that for sure, but I think that's an, uh, an aspirational goal that we should go for.
0: It is conceivable that if you do every single thing I tell you to do in perpetuity, maybe I'll let little Johnny go outside for half an hour in the sun. It's an aspirational goal. It's an aspirational goal. How about we just do it? How about, I'm no expert. I don't have very fancy medical degrees. Uh, I think that the kids can play outside. Actually, I've got some empirical data here which is since the beginning of, of the reign of Fauci beginning last March, I've 99.9% of the time ignored everything he said. I've, occasionally I've had to acquiesce because I need to say travel somewhere on an airplane and I've made a prudential calculation and said, okay, it's better that I put the stupid mask on for a second and fly to this place and give a speech about how terrible Fauci is, then not do that, right? But that's not, I'm not acquiescing in the sense that I think he's, he's right. I've never really thought the guy was right. Uh, I've just been living my life normally and ignoring all of his dumb guidelines and, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> I'm not saying I'm, I, I couldn't come down with the, the Wu flu or something and that would be that unfortunate. And but I'm just, I'm just looking at the science here and the risk is pretty low and the risk to children is infinitesimally low. So following the science here, it would seem that the kids can go out and play and they, they should have been able to do that from the very beginning. But what Fauci's making here is not a scientific argument. He's making a political argument, right? She's asking, is it, is it okay for kids to go play? And he goes, look, it's conceivable if you do all this other stuff I want. If we get the numbers down, what the, num- what do we mean if we get the public numbers down? what does the public numbers in California matter to a kid in New York? If the kid is vaccinated or if he's even not vaccinated, but his parents are vaccinated, those are specific cases. But what Fauci is doing is he's holding the individual cases as, as an incentive and saying, you need to get the the public matter. You, you all need to obey what I'm telling you to do. And then maybe in your individual cases, which are disconnected from the public matter broadly, then maybe I'll let you and, and your kids go out and play. And when I say he's not just talking about summer camp, he's actually talking about letting your kids go out and play. He says that if you let your kids go out and play, they should wear a mask.
2: Yeah, the children can clearly wind up getting infected. When we talk about what you can do when you're vaccinated, you can certainly have members of a family if the adults are vaccinated, and you're in the home with your child, you don't need to wear a mask and you can have physical contact. When the children go out into the community, you want them to continue to wear masks when they're interacting with groups from multiple households?
0: Nah, I don't want them to do that, actually. So, I mean, sweet little June, is like two months old now, so he's not gonna go out and see a lot of people. But if I had older children right now, I certainly would not have them wear a mask. I would not listen to anything that this this power mad sociopath has to say. I just, I just uh, don't care. The guy has admitted to misleading people on, on this issue. The idea that anyone uh, uh, feels that he still has credibility is just patently absurd to me. It, it, the, the arguments seem always to be changing, even though the effect is the same. Uh, from the very beginning, we need to slow the spread. Okay, we slowed the spread. We need to flatten the curve. Yeah, we flattened the curve. Well, we need to find a cure. We found a cure. Well, we need to have a total vaccine, maximum vaccination. Okay, people are getting vaccinated in huge numbers. Well, there might be variants, so you got to keep wearing the masks. Well, you're going to need boosters, so you need the vaccine passport. <laughs> I, I get it if you didn't see what this was a year ago, some of us, hate to say I told you so, some of us did see what this was a year ago, but I get it. I understand how persuasive the regime can be. <laughs> I understand how much authority experts in lab coats hold in our secular, scientific culture. If you don't see it now, I don't know that I can help you. This power grab is never going to stop unless we stop abiding. The Fauci's of the world and all the other eggheads who want to control us. You know, we've got some great shows coming up. We've got me on the Ben Shapiro show, so if you if you don't if you feel like this is not enough, uh, Michael, today you can get get a little bit of me there uh, because you know it, Ben does this every few months. He tells me that it's there, there are these ancient uh, holidays and things like that, but I didn't, I'm i starting to get a little skeptical. Uh, I, you know, every few months, I don't know if I buy it. Also. Uh, the Candace show is out. Uh, featured guests have included Jocko Willink, Brandon Tatum, John Rich, country music star who I got to play guitar with. It was very fun. There's some pictures of that floating around the internet. Candace is the first Daily Wire show to appear in front of a live audience, but don't worry if you can't attend the show in person, you can tweet your questions to at the Candace show for a chance to have Candace answer your question at the end of the night. Candace does not shy away from addressing the truth about a matter, no matter how controversial. She is famously known for her strong voice in defense of our country and in support of holding our culture to a higher standard. The show is available exclusively to Daily Wire members. So if you're not a member yet, go to dailywire.com slash subscribe. Use code Candace to get 25% off. That's code Candace for 25% off. Join now so you can tune in Friday night for a closer look behind her hot takes. Check it out at dailywire.com. We'll be right back with a lot more. The Biden administration wants to hold all of us accountable on the coronavirus, and it wants to make us follow all the ever-changing dictates of the regime. At the same time, the Biden administration does not want to hold China accountable. China, where the virus started. China, which lied about the virus. China, which hid what was going on for months. And according to early studies that came out last year, uh, may have increased the virality by something like 95% just because they covered it up and didn't let other countries prepare. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, going on CNN now, asked a blunt question. Do Do you think we should hold China accountable? Well, I don't know. Nah, maybe, maybe not so much.
2: You said at your confirmation hearing, Mr. Secretary, that you believe the Chinese government misled the world about coronavirus given that and the millions of people of course who have died around the world should china be punished for that
1: and i think the the, the issue for us is to make sure that we do everything possible to prevent another pandemic even as we're working through this one uh, or at the very least to make sure that we can mitigate uh, in much more effective ways any damage done if something happens in the future and a big part of that is making sure that we have a, a system in place including with the world health organization that Uh, features transparency, that features information sharing, that features access for international experts at the start of something like this. Uh, And that's where I think China, like uh, every other country, has real obligations that it needs to make good on. So I think what we need to be focused on is making sure we're protecting ourselves and protecting the world going forward. And that's gonna require uh, a lot of reform, and it's gonna require China to do things that it hasn't done in the past.
2: That sounded like a no.
0: Credit, credit to Dana Bash here, who says, you know, buddy, I'm obviously on your team. I'm on the left, but that was not a persuasive argument. That was a lot of words to say. No. The the nearest thing he, he suggested holding China accountable was we need to partner more closely with the WHO, which is practically owned by China to, to make China be more transparent even though the WHO partnered up with China to hide what was going on in the early days of the virus. Pathetic, pathetic stuff. But the Democratic establishment and Joe Biden in particular seem to have a real affinity for China. Uh, Their vision of the world is one in which China gets lots of special privileges and rises up and becomes a significant power. Joe Biden talked about this 10, 20 years ago, he said, a rising China is good for everybody. This is why these guys supported letting China into the World Trade Organization, not the World Health Organization, but the World Trade Organization, a disastrous idea that has imperiled our country, economically speaking, but also as a matter of security. China caused this virus. The former director of the CDC, Robert Redfield, believes actually that the flu, the Wu flu, came from a lab. If I was to guess, this virus started transmitting somewhere in September, October, in Wuhan.
2: September, October. That's my own view. It's an only opinion. I'm allowed to have opinions now. You know, I am of the
0: point of view that I still think the most likely uh, etiology of this pathogen in Wuhan was a, from a laboratory. Um, you know,
2: escaped. Uh, the other people don't believe that. That's fine. Science will eventually figure it out.
0: It's not unusual for respiratory pathogens that are being worked on in a laboratory to infect the laboratory worker. Can you believe this crazy conspiracy theorist? Uh, okay, Mr. Redfield, please take off your tinfoil hat, sir. You think, you think that just because this novel coronavirus That uh, apparently came from a bat was discovered like a mile from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, where they were experimenting on coronaviruses uh, in bats. That maybe that had something to do with it. It's crazy. And uh, excuse me, sir, what's your credential? What makes you think that you're you're uh, authorized to pontificate on these issues? Oh, just because you're a health expert and the former director of the CDC? Oh wait, whoops. That goes against the narrative, doesn't it? Yikes. That doesn't work out. Anthony Fauci, who is the grand poobah of all these eggheads, he is not so thrilled with what uh, Dr. Redfield has to say. Now, Redfield, because he's a, a, a part of this club, former CDC director, public health official, uh, Fauci doesn't go after him as as uh, viciously as he might after other people, but he, he does want to downplay Redfield's ideas.
2: Okay. So When you think about the possibilities of how this virus appeared in the human population, obviously there are a number of theories. The issue that would have someone think it's possible to have escaped from a lab would mean that it essentially entered the outside human population already well adapted to humans, suggesting that it was adapted in the lab. However, The alternative explanation, which most public health individuals go by, is that this virus was actually circulating in China, likely in Wuhan, for a month or more before they were clinically recognized at the end of December of 2019. If that were the case, the virus clearly could have adapted itself to a greater efficiency of transmissibility Over that period of time, up to and at the time it was recognized. So, Dr. Redfield was mentioning that he was giving an opinion as to a possibility. But again, there are other alternatives, others that most people hold by. But there are,
0: uh, now don't, I can't criticize this guy too much, unfortunately, without undermining my own argument, but uh, don't listen to him. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I don't know. Doesn't seem, again, I'm no expert. I don't, I don't wear the white lab coat, but it would seem to me that there are no coincidences in this world. <laughs> and uh, particularly those that are, that are so glaring as, as this uh, question of China, which we, we know was working on these viruses in bats at the Wuhan Institute of Virology, notoriously opaque regime that lied about it and that exerted their political power over the WHO to lie about it for months, increasing the effect of this on the world. Speaking of a lack of accountability, two teenage black girls tried to steal a Pakistani Uber Eats driver's car. Then, as, as he was trying to stop them while he's still sort of half in the car, they took off, flipped the car, and killed him. Then, uh, as this man was dying, breathing his last breaths on the ground, one of the young girls walked right past him back to the, the scene of the crime, the flipped car, and she was very upset because she realized she left her cell phone in the car. And as the people on the scene said, what are you, get back, what are you doing? She said, no, no, no I, I got I gotta get my phone. I left my phone in the car so that they could walk off. The victim's name is Muhammad Anwar. Uh, if the racial aspects of this crime were different, this would be international news. If it were two white teens, say, and a black driver, or perhaps some other race of a driver. This would be international news. This would be, uh, the, the left would be blue in the face screaming about this as evidence of white supremacy and uh, how whiteness is corrosive and we need to abolish whiteness and it would just all be about white, 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 white. And because the perpetrators of this crime are black, uh, that's it where they're going to try to suppress the story. They're not going to mention race. Race is only ever mentioned and encouraged to be mentioned when it it suits the narrative that white people are the perpetrators of crimes and black people and other racial minorities are the victims of crimes. Uh, Very, very sad stuff. The left is now taking this further, but it's a point they often go to in saying that These girls should not be looked on as criminals because they're just young teenage girls. Really, they're sort of victims. We shouldn't ask how to punish them. I saw various blue check marks tweeting this. Uh, We shouldn't think about how to punish them. We should think about how to help them. We shouldn't ask why they chose to do this, but what forced them to do this? What compelled them to do this? I would like to bring together these two arguments. The right tends to focus on free will and how these, how perpetrators of crimes, whether they're teenage girls or fully grown adults, how they choose to perpetrate these crimes and how the left says they don't choose. They're merely passive figures. According to the left now, all everyone other than straight white men are passive figures. And whenever they do anything or they seem to do anything evil, that really that's just because society made them do it. And by society, we just mean the white patriarchy. And that's why really, even when uh, racial minority commits a crime. You had prominent left-wingers saying this just last week. When when a racial minority commits a crime, really, it's the fault of white supremacy, or it can be the fault of white supremacy. So these two apparently polar opposite arguments that the le- the, the left and the right are making right now, I would like to propose some sort of reconciliation between them. I get this. I was just reading it a couple of nights ago in uh, Old Uncle Boethius, a very, very smart writer who, who was uh, killed, bludgeoned to death at the end of the Roman Empire as we moved into the Middle Ages. He wrote The Consolation of Philosophy, one of the greatest books ever written. And Boethius describes punishment, justice, in a way that it's sort of, it sounds both super right wing and super left wing, in that he says punishment for crime is an act of compassion. It's not an act of vengeance or wrath. It's an act of compassion because human beings seek happiness and seek the good and seek justice. And when they go down the wrong path, it is a compassionate action to punish them for that, both for the the injustice that must be satisfied, but also as a matter of sort of rehabilitation. When you punish them, you're encouraging them to go back down the right path. And Boethius then presents a kind of left-wing argument. He says, when, when you see people defendants in court, really prosecutors shouldn't make an argument about how terrible they are and that's why they deserve punishment. They should make an argument about how sick they are. Something really sick has gone on with them. And we, therefore, as a society need to administer the medicine of just punishment, which is compassion. Sounds v- sort of left-wing, even though the left, I'm sure, wouldn't, wouldn't agree with that. I have no doubt that, look, these girls are past the age of reason. So to some degree, they have some understanding of the moral order and some control over their will. And they chose to do this horrific thing, commit this horrific murder and show horrific callousness afterwards when they cared more about their stupid cell phone than about the man they had just killed. Also, I have no doubt that to some degree, these girls had some weird upbringing I bet something went wrong somewhere. I, I Look, I don't know. I don't have the, I don't know their family history. I don't know whether they had an, a normal stable family. I don't know whether they had a father in the house. I know statistics, so I know it doesn't look great. I don't know their schooling. I don't know whether they were t- brought to church on Sunday. I don't know any of these things, but, but it would seem to me, likely at least, that if you commit this kind of a crime, something went wrong somewhere and some parent failed. And some teacher failed somewhere. Probably, sure. That is not an excuse to let injustice reign and to let these two murderous teenagers off the hook. They should at the very least be put away for life. I think there's no, no question about that at the very, very least. That is an act of compassion. And I think that when we call for justice, we, we can do so in a compassionate way because justice is not evil and it's not cruel. It is good. That is what justice is. Speaking of evil stuff, I have to get to Lil Nas X, someone who I didn't know existed until a few days ago when he engaged in a satanic publicity campaign that that I guess sort of worked because it, it caught my attention. It caught a lot of other people's attention. Lil Nas X, who is a rapper, is releasing Satan Shoes, 666 individually numbered pairs of Nike Air Max 97s that were modified by the company MSCHF Mischief. Okay, I got it. uh, They'll be going for over $1,000 beginning March 29th. Your mind must be truly warped by the devil if you're willing to pay $1,000 for a pair of running shoes, but there, there are other issues at play here. Uh, First things first, if you embrace Satan, who is a real person, you will burn in hell for eternity. Hell, which is a real place. We should establish that. People are going to joke about this and say, oh, here goes Michael. He's talking about some crazy religious stuff. I'm not, I'm just bringing you the facts and facts don't care about your feelings, (laughs) as my my colleague here loves to say. Uh, Satan is a real person. Antonin Scalia joked about this when he was talking to a New York magazine interviewer a number of years ago, she was, she was mocking him for believing in the devil. He said, you know, most people in history have believed in the devil. Most of America believes in the devil. Many more intelligent people than you or I have believed in the devil. So don't do that. If you play around with this stuff, even if you think it's funny, uh, it's not. And you're really putting yourself in a lot of uh, uh, trouble. It's all, it's all fun and games until the devil's eating your soul for eternity. Uh, beyond the outrage though, is there something that we can learn from Lil Nas X? Is there something, once we, once we tone down the outrage for a second, what is this really saying? What can we learn about this for our culture? I think there's actually quite a lot there. Lil Nas X is putting out the devil shoes that are numbered 666, uh, you know, 666 pairs or thousand dollars each. They include a drop of human blood in it. Not great. Um, he's doing this in conjunction with a song that he's releasing in which he describes his, I guess, his sexual desires. Turns out he's gay and he came out and he says he's homosexual and uh, where he's like doing, like jiggling around for the devil and giving him a lap dance and things like that. So I'm going to tamp down the outrage for a second and say, uh, Nike is denying any involvement with this. It would seem that Nike's, Nike's statement is that the, this company mischief along with Lil Nas X just kind of bought retail shoes and then redesigned them. Is that true or not? I don't know. But Nike is saying, we don't want anything to do with this. And no matter how woke your company gets, even, even a company like Nike, it would seem to me unlikely that one of their corporate executives thought, yeah, I know the way that we're going to make a lot of money. We're going to embrace the devil and put human blood in our shoes. I think that's a bridge too far, even for Nike. Second of all, little Nas X is not the first Satanist in entertainment. He's not even the first popular black entertainer who's embraced Satanism. Sammy Davis Jr., one of the great tap dancers and singers, uh, famous for the Rat Pack, famous 20th century entertainer. He was an actual Satanist for some time. He eventually left and he converted to Judaism, uh, but he he joined the Church of Satan. He actually, he he even made a sitcom pilot about satanism called poor devil. Take a listen.
2: Oh. Hello, furnace room. Sammy speaking. Sammy, this is Chelsea. Hi, baby. You remember the man that you've been
1: watching, but why do you keep insisting is a hot prospect?
2: Yeah. Well, I've
1: got him here on the monitor and you were right. Really? He's exactly what you've been waiting for. Can you come up right now?
2: Oh, honey, if I come up there now and Lucifer catches me, I'm going to be in all kinds of trouble. Oh, honey, you can't get in more trouble than what you are right now. Come on up, Sammy. You're right. See ya.
0: So it, it gets even weirder. There's pentagrams in the show and everything. People, people don't forget this. They think about the 50s and the 60s. They think, oh, you know, that time when uh, America, you know, it had all this very bourgeois morality and all these nice suburbs and everything. And, uh, you know, um, America's most belo- one of America's most beloved entertainers was a uh, one-eyed Satanist you know, it, it kind of cuts against a lot of what we're, what we're told. It's, it's amazing because we're told it was an ableist time. We're told it was a racist time. We're told it was an extremely Christian time. And yet one of America's most beloved entertainers, a black one-eyed Satanist. He eventually got out of it though. So obviously they're releasing this now during Holy Week. We're now approaching Easter. Uh, little NASX is doing this uh, for publicity, no question. However, I watched the video and I think the video is actually somewhat interesting. In the video, Lil Nas X is in the Garden of Eden and then he goes up to heaven and then he goes down to hell. He actually glides a stripper pole down to hell and starts twerking on Satan's face. He is not condemned to hell. He freely chooses hell. And even beyond that, we have to realize that in the, in the garden, he is depicted as being tempted by the devil. So even that free choice is conditioned by sin. So you have to ask, well, how free was he really able to do it? You know, you and I, we try to resist temptation and we fail on and on and on. We fail. Hopefully we get a little bit better at it, but we, we still fail because we're human. We have a broken nature. So it's very interesting here. It's not the judgmental people in heaven, though they, there are judgmental people depicted who force him down to hell. He freely chooses hell, at least in his own mind, even though he has been tempted very clearly by the devil. Is he really free? Then he gives a lap dance to Satan and then he kills the devil and puts the devil's horns on himself. There is nothing new under the sun, as you know, and this is not some new work of art that's come out. This is really, in a way it seems to me, a hip hop modern retelling of Paradise Lost by John Milton. Famous line in Paradise Lost where the character of Satan is presented in a sort of sympathetic way. And Satan, when he's thrust down into hell, he embraces hell. He he sort of makes a free choice for hell. Very famous lines, he, he writes, Farewell, happy fields, where joy forever dwells. Hail, horrors. Hail, infernal world. And thou, profoundest hell, receive thy new possessor, me, Satan. One who brings a mind not to be changed by place or time. The mind is its own place and in itself can make a heaven of hell, a hell of heaven. What matter where, if I be still the same and what I should be all but less than he whom thunder hath made greater God, here at least we shall be free. The almighty hath not built here for his envy will not thrive us hence. Here we may reign secure, and in my choice, to reign is worth ambition, though in hell. There is a lot here. I think actually the Little Nass music video makes a lot of sense in our present political climate, especially with what the left is pushing, but even with what some portions of the right is pushing. One of the more provocative elements in Milton's Paradise Lost is that Satan reads, kind of like what you might call a classical liberal, uh, at, at, at least in the way that sort of we understand that term now. He reads as a guy who who values his will and his ambition and his choice, he, even if he thinks it's a free choice, but maybe it's not a totally free choice. He values that over what is true and what is good and what is actually beautiful. He says, well, I've got my mind so I can make a hell of heaven or heaven of hell. Me, 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 I'm going to choose it. The reality doesn't really matter. It's just my mind, my will, my desires, my appetite. That's what matters. This is sure you can have this as a, a logical conclusion of leftism. You can have this as a logical conclusion of individualism too. It's why you're seeing this right now sort of collapsing on the right. The, the, of the last 10 or 20 years, it's become fashionable to reduce all of conservative thought to, I want to do whatever I want to do, and I want to follow whatever desires I want, and darn it, that's my right. That's freedom. That's not real freedom. None of the serious thinkers about freedom, liberty, have ever thought that. Certainly, our founding fathers didn't think that. There is a difference between liberty and licentiousness. You cannot really make heaven into hell or hell into heaven, but your mind can become so perverted and so self-obsessed and so prideful that you would prefer, that you would feel heaven to be hell, because of how disordered your desires and, and your, your perception has become. That is the the risk that we're in for society right now. It's why I think actually this little NAS video, which is satanic, you know, so don't, it's bad. <laughs> I'm not, not encouraging it. But but it's why it actually does have something rather interesting to say about our politics. And hopefully, through Providence, we can- uh, evil things can can be turned toward good uh, hopefully we can we can learn some lessons from this terrible video especially during Holy Week it's why it was released we sing the Easter antiph- antiphon we sing oh happy fault that won for us so great so glorious a redeemer Christians celebrate e- even the fall of mankind which was which was evil and bad in and of itself but God turns it to good and it gives us our great and glorious redeemer so that's why we, we call it a happy fault perhaps we can we can see these things that can be turned to good and take the, that, that good turn uh, when when we can find it. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles Show. See you tomorrow. Mm -hmm. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, Be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies. Executive Producer, Jeremy Boring. Our Technical Director is Austin Stevens. Supervising Producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Production Manager, Pavel Vidovsky. Editor and Associate Producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio Mixer, Mike Coramina, Hair and Makeup by Nika Geneva. And Production Coordinator, McKenna Waters. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production, copyright Daily Wire 2021. Two teen girls in D.C. carjack and murder a man, and it's all caught on video. Biden plans to require vaccine passports. Dr. Fauci says that children should still wear masks when they play with each other. And a TikTok teacher speaks out against the racism of light-colored Band-Aids. That's a big problem. All of that and much more today on The Matt Wall Show.